Welcome to My Big Safety Challenge, a podcast all about stories of safety leadership presented by Dale Carnegie and the Board of Certified Safety Professionals. Here are your hosts, Merle Heckman and Mike Palmer. Mike, we're in for a treat today. We're, we're in for a learning opportunity. Yeah, I've been waiting for this one. Uh, we're speaking today with Hannah Sesse. Hannah is the VP of Safety, Health, and Environment for Ferguson. I've had the privilege of knowing Hannah for a long time uh, as a colleague and a friend. She's just a, just a great lady. She has been fantastic at being able to garner management support and vision, but she's, she's got great charisma and she's very authentic. I am so excited for us to talk to her. All right, folks, get ready for the real deal. Here we go. Good morning, Merle. And Mike, great to see you today. Yeah, good morning, Hannah. Good morning, Mike and Merle. How are you? Wonderful. We're glad you can join us, uh, our listeners. We are joined today by Hannah Sesse. Uh, I'm very grateful to call Hannah a longtime colleague and friend, and very excited she joined us today. Hannah's the VP of Safety, Health, and Environment for Ferguson PLC. And Merle, what do you want to know about Hannah? Well, Hannah, we have been finding that as we talk to safety professionals, normally there's like what we would call a point of origin where they say, I believe I want to get into to the realm of safety. Would you tell us a little bit about how you got started in this? Well, Merle, I kind of stumbled into safety. Right? I went to college for something completely different. And I wind up taking courses in the School of Safety Sciences, and I loved it. And so I graduated with a degree in both safety science and environmental health from undergrad, and then went on to get my graduate degree in environmental engineering from NGIT. So I've loved being in the field of health and safety um, for the past 30 plus years. That's how, that's my origin. When you took those classes, what is it that captured you? What is it that got you? You know, I love working with people. And in school, I was always good with the sciences. So I love working with people. And the fact that you, especially early in your career, you're outside. And I went to school, I went to Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Mm. So some may call it the Mecca of safety. Yes. <laughs> and so, um, so we're surrounded by mines, you know, Allegheny, Johnstown, those areas. And, um, Westinghouse. And so I remember um, I took a course in industrial hygiene. That was my first course. And I loved it. I don't think it was just the professor. It was just the fact that it's a way you actually helping people without being in the medical field, but you're helping identify health exposures to people. And if you're familiar with their Johnstown area, you know, there's a big issue there with, with because of the mines, with cancer and all these other things there. So my industrial hygiene class actually took us outside a lot. So we did a lot of uh, monitoring, stuff like that. And then also took a class that talks about really getting to the systems of safety. That was a system safety course, which also, you know, I really enjoyed. And mind you, my university was actually well known for the health and safety program, but I didn't know about it. And so being in those courses, I truly enjoyed it. And I had a really, uh, a professor who was, um, wanted to be my advisor. He actually suggested, say, it, you know, I said I was an environmental health major. He said, you should consider a double major in health and safety. 
I was like, oh, yeah. And also you look at the placement rate at the time. I was like, almost everybody gets a job in health and safety. And uh, so that's what drew me to the field. But I've loved it since from day one. Hannah, there are, there are safety professionals. And then there are safety professionals who know how to lead. What really sparked your interest in being a leader of other people? I was fortunate. I've had good role models. And I remember my very first boss, I worked for Aqua Chemical Company. I did an intern with Aqua Chemical at a time. And he was a, an alumni. And I saw how he led the encouragement that he gave me. He always was very nice always interested in what I had to say, always asked me how was my day the day before, especially if I worked the third shift, putting out monitors in all the labs. And, he, you know, he'll come in like at seven in the morning when I'm leaving and, he was, and he'll call me in, in his office, say, how did, how did it go last night? And he just took an interest in, in, in what I was doing and also took an interest in me. And he would ask me how was school, you know, what my intentions were and things like that. And I always admired how he led. And throughout my career as a young professional, I've been fortunate with, with leaders that actually encouraged me. And also I, I saw early on what was important. I recognized early on that, you know, you need to know what what's important to your boss. What's important to your boss is should be important to you. And, and also it's really important that when you lead people, that you get to know them as well. It's not all about, you know, the work. Because when you get to know them, you get to know what motivates them. It's easier for you to relate when you know what motivates people. What, and then you can use that as an angle to get people to come with you, right? And so for me, I think I've had good role models in terms of uh, leadership and people that have taken a personal interest in my development and my growth. And also, I think I've also been very open to it. I've always been open to new adventures, new new opportunities, and, and not necessarily opportunities to go up, but opportunities to gain knowledge, yes. right? And if you look at my background, I try to gain as much knowledge in all of the disciplines and intersections nice. of health and safety. And so I think what that does is when you're leading people, it gives you the depth and breadth that you need to really help coach people. And I think as the leaders that I've had been fortunate to lead me, not necessarily, they haven't been health and safety leaders. I've been led by operations, engineering, not necessarily in the discipline that I'm in. But one thing that I find in common with all of them is the fact that they took a personal interest in knowing who I was and what drives me, what motivates me, and the challenges that they put forward. And they also believe in me. Hannah. Right out of the gate, you are uh, exhibiting Carnegie principles, becoming genuinely interested in another person, talking in terms of the other person's interest, and even give the other person a fine reputation to live up to. Look at how you've already mentioned those in the first few minutes. All right, Mike, see what else you can find out here. This is great. Well... You just said something that uh, took me to a point you made during your pre-call that just, I love the statement. I just want to hear more about it. And I know the listeners are going to want to hear more about it. When we were talking about getting leaders buy-in, which been fortunate to work with you through several different companies. And one of the things that's always been consistent is you seem to always have their support. You seem to be able to garner the support of your leaders. There's so many safety professionals I work with 
and it's it's a real struggle. And they're like, hey, I want to do this, but you know, I don't know if the company's going to support me and whatnot. And, but you, through very different types of businesses, have been able to get the support of your leaders. And you mentioned something the other day that you thought was important with that, and you termed it professional courage and conviction. Tell me more about what that means. Well, I think, I mean, as, and I can see how people will struggle sometimes to get leaders buy-in to, to, to move anything, initiatives or anything like that. But I think it's it's good to recognize that the fact that you work for the company, the company have recognized the importance of the role, right? I think that's, that's a place to start. Uh, you won't have a job if they don't think your role is important, especially in this economy and where things are going. If your role is not important, you won't have a job. So you start with that. And I think also the reason why you're there, because they expect that you know more than they do in that area. And you're you're there because of the expertise that you bring. So then capitalize on that. Um, when I first joined Ferguson, there was a reason why they hired. They never had a, a leader of health and safety before. They've, they've always addressed health and safety, but they never had someone, you know, that's my sole job, right? They've had a group of people that actually were responsible for the tactical and delivering some health and safety. But the fact that they hired me shows that they want to move in a different direction. And so coming into Ferguson, one of the things that I did was to first understand what the issues were, you know, what the desire of the leadership was, what the expectation of, of the role is, what do you expect? And it was very clear to me, obviously, at the time, you know what, I need to make sure that I am able to communicate to them what I see as the need and also start making sure that the language that I use is something that they identify with. You as a health and safety person, you have a higher perception of what the risks are. So it's your job to make sure you bring them along. It's your job to get them to see what you're seeing. In most cases, if you're able to articulate what the need is, and you're also able to articulate what the return would be um, if you address that, and, and you tie that to the values of the organization, I don't see why they will say no. You have to be realistic in what you're proposing too. You can't be proposing to spend $20 billion when the company doesn't even make $8 million. That doesn't make any sense, right? So you have to be realistic about what you're proposing. You have to be realistic in terms of what return you will get, what needs will be addressed, right, by bringing those proposals up. And you have to have the professional courage to defend it. What I've seen in some in, in cases where you don't have, you know, you can't push the needle. Sometimes the messenger is not certain in what they're asking for either. And when you're not certain what you're asking for, I do expect people to come along with you. And it's not all roses because I've presented something and they come back and say, we're not doing that. Right. And so I'll go back. But if I'm convinced that that's what we need to do, I will go back and come at it in a different angle. I'll keep coming at it at different angles until you see it. And hopefully I'll hit the angle at which you have the same perception that I do. Mike said, I get everything I want. I don't get everything I want. There's many cases, <laughs> yeah. many times I go in there, I was like, oh, no, you're not getting that. <laughs> we don't want <laughs> right? unreal but, expectation, do we? But Hannah, how often does senior leadership at times, just as part of their role, challenge to see if you really believe it? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> nobody wants to spend money all the time. Yeah. So nobody should be surprised at that. Like, well, why are they even questioning me? I'm the. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, the thing is, your, your, your leaders, they run the business. Your KPI, your metric is one of many. 
that they look at, right? And so what's the value to the shareholders if that's what they're dealing with? What's the value? Especially with my company, health and safety is a core value. Our goal is to make sure it is part of what we do every single day. But in some companies, that's not the case. It's not a core value. It's a priority and priority changes, right? So you have to make sure that you can justify what you're proposing and you have to be able to justify with data, right? It's not just, I feel, is I know, and this is what I know, and this is what it's going to get you at the end. And in some cases, it's 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 a, it's about the culture and health and safety is a component. It's 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 not the main thing that runs the business. Sometimes, as professionals, we think, oh, it's all about health and safety. That's what. No, it's not. It's part of how you run your business. And so that's what I think. Sometimes in the field, we forget that it is a business at the end, and your proposals need to be able to move the needle towards where the business is going as well. I love the reality of that, which is awesome. Uh, You said something else in your pre-call, and I don't know if it's related to what you were just saying, and you tell me if it is or isn't. You said safety is built into the organization, not bolted on. I love that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, because I think if you think about it, I mean, Mike, you know, as a as a former uh, compliance officer, you know, when you when you go into a business, you look at what programs do you have? You know, uh, you have these risks. What are the programs to govern those risks? We can write programs all day. We can say you have this risk. We write the program to go with that. It means nothing if the business can implement it. And in most cases, if it's an add on, if it feels like an add on, it will have a hard time implementing because it's just another thing. So as safety professionals, one of the things, and this is the hardest thing to teach, is how do you find the integration point to where you can integrate safety? For example, you have a group of salespeople where they're going to a, a construction location to sell. Right? You know they'll be, they'll be exposed to things. Now, are you going to pull those salespeople for two hours and give them health and safety training? Is it gonna Is it going to fly? Probably not. Right, because those two hours they could be making a billion dollar sale, and they say in the office going to health and safety. However, they do have to be trained about the product they're going to sell. So why not integrate safety into that? Right. So you do that; it's more built in. It's not. It's not an afterthought. It's part of what you go through. It's part of completion of that training. You're gonna have to go through health and safety. Right. It's part of what you do. So I think sometimes that's the challenge is how do we look at the integration point? When someone presents a business proposal or present a business project, as a health and safety professional, are you able to listen to that project and see where the intersections are of health and safety and making sure that those things are addressed? That's the p- place to do it. If you say you're going to do it after the fact, it is a, it's a hill to climb. And sometimes it takes a long time to get the buy-in because it feels like it's added on. So, and, and again, mind you, you start off with add-ons, but eventually to get to that culture, it has to be seamless. You have to look at integrating it. And, and I think to me, that's where a lot of the professional courage comes in. That's where um, your commitment to it, your commitment to step on the other side and really look at what needs to be done and integrate it with them and be a partner with the businesses you're dealing with. That's where all that comes in into play. You know, I think my one of my favorite parts of that was it is a risk-driven approach and not a compliance-driven approach. Yeah. You and I know that if 
OSHA is not going to go there and pick on what you've trained your salesman to do or not do. Mm-mm. Right? It's not going to. You're not doing that to try to comply with OSHA. You're doing mm-hmm. that because you see risk, and then you give the level of control to the level of risk. Mm-hmm. Right? A salesman mm-hmm. doesn't have the same risk as some of the other people that are operating machinery. That I think that's a that's a great approach. Yeah, I always tell people compliance doesn't give you good safety performance. It doesn't. <laughs> it, it, it's a it's a myth to say if you stay in compliance, you have good uh, 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 recordables. No, no, it doesn't. It's the people's behavior. You know, it's because people can navigate. A, a, they can navigate if they have an understanding. If you focus on risk, compliance is a given. If you focus on compliance, doesn't mean you're addressing the risk. Hannah, organizations, uh, groups are craving for good talent. Everybody wants to hire good. And, and this whole matter of acquiring talent, finding talent, keeping, mm-hmm. but even developing. If you were to advise somebody on looking for a safety professional to hire, what, what, are, the, uh, what are those elements to be really watching for? It depends on what level. If you're hiring a, a safety specialist, a safety coordinator, or if you, the technical skills is the core and fundamental, right? You need you 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 need to have people have a grounding in the technical, right? They understand the the they understand risk, they understand can identify it, they understand what it takes to mitigate it, and things like that. I think that's the fundamental. But as you uh, go up the chain in leadership. As you grow in your career, then other things becomes very important, right? Like. Um, it becomes important in terms of your ability to manage people becomes very important. Other skills, your empathy. That's one skill that a lot of people overlook is you have to have empathy because when we protect people, and I look at my job as protecting people, right? You have to have empathy when you do so. And from a leadership perspective, there's some leadership skills that you need to make sure you have. Uh, discipline is one of them. You have to be disciplined, not just in thought. And 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 mind you, these are stuff that even at the highest level we struggle with. Communication is big. I'll continue to struggle with that. Being able to partner mm-hmm. is really big. Partner with, with key business leaders. It's not about beating them in the head with compliance issues. You're never going to get, no. because as soon as you turn your back, they're back to the old practice, right? You need to be able to partner and so you're looking for talent that have, I would say, those core acumen, they're not necessarily technical related, communication, partnering. Those are things that are more so, it's a personality driven. People who can, they can read it and try to emulate it. And then you have people who are authentic about it. It's how do you get to the people who are authentic? The authentic in terms of their empathy, they're authentic in terms of having interest in other people. They're authentic in terms of their communication, right? That's what you really look for because those characteristics make good leaders. Leaders that just try to emulate what they read, but it doesn't lose authenticity, they don't make good leaders, especially in health and safety because you're dealing with people of all walks of life, right? And you're trying to convince people to do things that will save their lives, mm. You have to be able to put yourself in issues and communicate in a way where they see you as authentic. If you're not, you're not going to be able to get the effect. So when you're looking for talent, you want to look for technical strength, but at the same time, 
all those other things I talk about allow you to use that, that technical strength to really be effective, right? If it's just technical, lacking those other things, you're not going to be effective. Let's talk about one of those in particular and the word empathy, which some people would think, well, that's a little bit weak. But one of the Carnegie principles is try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. How do you see that that principle could connect with the idea of empathy as we're interacting with people, seeing from their point of view? Well, it allows you to, for them to, to, to see you as someone you're listening to them and you have an interest in them. And it, you know, it's something, even at my level, I struggle with sometimes too, because sometimes, you know, you have a tendency to, what are you talking about? So stepping back and putting yourself in other shoes, allow you to see how they're experiencing you. And then you change your approach. So putting myself in the issue, allow me to be more empathetic to what they're saying. Right. And not necessarily take my assessment of the situation as the given. It, it certainly uh, relates to emotional intelligence and being alert to what's going on and the power of words. And as you might know, many of the Dale Carnegie principles really do interact and emphasize the idea of that intelligence of being able to read the people, read the power of our words. Communication is such a broad area. What's a couple of tips that you have found that helped you that you believe could help other safety professionals? Well, I have to tell you, and, and being vulnerable here, that's probably one of my biggest areas that I need to grow. Well, good. That gives us hope <laughs> and, we all got room to grow. <laughs> and so and and so it is something that you work on every day, right? It's it, it's something, and there's some really good communicators out there, but there's something that I work on every day. I know for, for, for me, it's always good to understand how people like to be led how people receive things, right? It's really good to understand that. And sometimes, you know, especially in health and safety, we use words and terms that are only familiar to us. You need to take those words in terms to everyday language that people are familiar with. That's the first place to start, right? You can be using word and terminology that for a safety professional, it's a, it's like, you know, chewing ice. However, for the regular guy, it's not. So you need to first be simple in, in the words that you use, right? And somebody said to me once, a third grader should be able to understand what you just said. So be that simple in the words that you use. So that's the first thing. And I think the, the other thing about communication is one thing I'm learning, you need to do it over and over. It's not a one-time done thing. You have to keep repeating the message. And and based on how important that message is, you have to keep be, repeating it over and over again. So that's another thing that I've learned mm. about effectively communicating with people. And also you have to be clear, clear and concise in what you want to say and make sure that people there's an understanding on both sides on what the outcome is, right? What the expectation is and what you expect at the end of the day, what does good look like? In my mind, I know what good looks like, but you, I haven't communicated that to you we don't have a level of agreement what good looks like, then at the end, we're both disappointed. Mm. These are some of the things from a communication standpoint I know that I'm working on, and but I also know they are critical, especially in the area of health and safety, because not everything can be absorbed by the business. So you really have to pick your battles and you have to make sure you communicate clearly and concisely and repeatedly uh, on what's important on both sides. I'm going to give you a Carnegie principle that we haven't given to any other guest. It's the one called dramatize your ideas. 
So when we're communicating, we're not talking about swinging from chandeliers. But Hannah, what is the value of the safety professional who can learn to present ideas in a way that captures attention, becomes memorable? I'm not saying drama in itself, but to dramatize. What's the value of that? If you're trying to to push something through the organization, right, you want people to remember it. Like, I'll give you an example. When when I first started Ferguson, we wanted to have a, a safety campaign. And I remember we threw a lot of stuff on the board, but I remember attending um, a presentation. And in that presentation, our leaders talked about we want to be first in what we do. And so that's a common uh, knowledge among our leadership team. We want to be the best in what we do. We want to be first in what we do. And I remember sitting there and saying, well, we also want to be first in safety. And that became our logo. So in everything that we do, every communication that we send out, first in safety is our logo, right? And it's stuck because we basically, to your point, dramatize it, put it in every single thing that we do. And um, at the end of the day, you start seeing all the presentations will have that. You know, you start seeing others will pick it up and put it in uh, in, in their logos locally. So now it's across the company. People know that first in safety is every, we want to be first in safety. And again, dramatizing that and it's stuck. And so I do agree that in, in most cases, what's important, you need to continuously repeat it. And the more you repeat it, the more people identify it, the more people pick it up. And then in essence, it just, you know, develop a life of its own. Which is so important because so many times in safety presentations, if you ask people to describe what is, boring is the most common word, which is sad for such a life-giving and life-protecting profession. Well, I have to admit, I've I've sat through a lot of boring safety presentations. (laughs) Well, I've given a few, so I can... (laughs) So I have sympathy for people sitting through those. And because one of the things that I try to do is not to make them safe, boring. Right. And and it's not about the presentation. It's about the conversations. Right. And, you know, I know we all have a habit sometimes, you know, we tend to read. And sometimes I'm guilty of that, too. But I think what people are interested in is in the conversation, not necessarily because they can read the slides. You need to have captures people's interest and hold nice. it. Nice. And it's not just in the presentation, it's how how you speak, right? I've sat through meetings where um, safety people present and it's the same tone. I call it the death valley presentation. It's like you stay in a death valley, right? So, so it's the same tone from the start to the end of the presentation, right? And there's no interjection of, you know, you're not raising or lowering your voice. It's the same. And yeah, that puts you to sleep. So you definitely need to pay attention to how you present and how you facilitate a conversation. Do you know all those points about communicating, being authentic, um, they so much track with something you said before about, it's about behavior, right? You're trying to do things that affect behavior because you believe that is the biggest way that you can move the needle versus we tend to think of compliance as very conditioned the measurement of guarding distances and, you know, exit ways and all this kind of stuff. Right. And what you and I have both found is through the years, you got to do those things, mm-hmm. but do they necessarily move the needle on injuries? They probably don't as much, but those things you got to do, but you know, the, the struggle part, the challenge part is that behavior part. 
you know, when you implement all these programs, right, uh, we talk about people's behavior. You can walk into a room, there's hazards everywhere, right? I take an example, people that work in construction site, it is everywhere. Yep. But if you see a low injury rate, it's because their perception of the risk is very high. And so their tolerance is very low. So I think in most cases that when you see all of these, it's not about compliance, it's about people understanding why, right? The example of the seatbelt, or if you get in a car and someone is not wearing a seatbelt, you feel so uncomfortable because we've been conditioned as to why that's not safe. The why is not compliance all the time. Compliance is a, one of the reasons why, but it's not the why. You know, the why is I want to make sure you go home safe to your family. Even if for a minute or for an hour or for a day, it will change the quality of your life for that day, for that minute, for that hour. Do you want to risk that? And I think people understanding that is really, really important. Um, I think when you when you think about, you know, communicating to change behavior, we really have to focus on people understanding why we're asking them to do what we're asking them to do. And also you have to connect it to them, right? Safety needs to be personal. Connected to them and who else is impacted by them, right? Mm. Their families. Their, their families yeah. or, you know, whatever yeah. that's impacted. Yeah. But it's stages, right? It's stages. You know, if, if I'm to advise any young safety professional out there, when you get your job, look at what are the low-hanging fruits I need to address right away. Because, Mike, you remember when I started working for Ferguson, the first time I called you, I said, the low-hanging fruit I need to address, I need to make sure that I understand what our compliance level is across the right. organization. Right. Right. And so then I need to understand you have to build the pyramid per se. When you first start building the pyramid, the base of the pyramid, you need all you need shining um, pans to carry the sand, to carry the stone. You need shovel. You need all of this. But as the pyramid gets higher and higher, you need different skill set. You now need a pulley to take the 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 the, the cement. You can't right. carry on your head anymore. You need different skill set as you go up uh, higher and higher in the pyramids. It's the same thing with health and safety programs. You know, when you first start, you may need some skill set, but as you get more and more into driving performance to the level, like you say, world class, what you need are different. The skills you need to different. I you like need to partner with people more. You need to engage more with people. You need to build it in more in order to get to that next level of performance, right? It's the same thing. Talking about communicating and using analogies and yeah. dramatizing your ideas. Case in point right there. Yeah, and, with, and, and not a sports analogy. No, thank goodness. You know, not a sports analogy. It was, it was actually a pyramid, <laughs> pyramid analogy. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Hannah, you have impressed Mike, you've impressed me in our few minutes together. You've risen in in safety, which some people would call uh, often dominated by men, and you have risen. And uh, I think it's sad that we have that connotation. What advice would you give to young women who have an interest and in, 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 uh, want to grow in safety? What advice would you have to them? Oh, wow. You know, safety is a male-dominated field. I mean, I graduated in a class, I think with three female in my graduating class. So from day one, it's been a dominator field of, of men. But I think that should not intimidate intimidate you if you if you want if it's something that you're passionate about, um, my advice would be learn as much as you can. Don't stick to one stream of health and safety. Be the, the generalist of all, 
right? Understand all different intersections with health and safety. I think it only would help you in your career. It would differentiate you hmm. from from everybody else, right? So if you know, I remember when I was in college, and Mike talked about all the different careers that I've gone into. I that was deliberate, right? I when I came out of college, I worked for Occidental Chemical. Um, I left there and I went to work for an insurance company because I wanted to understand workers' comp, and I did liability. And workers' comp, I wanted to understand fire suppression. The insurance company I worked for gave me a good training in fire suppression systems and rating them and things like that. I left there. I went to manufacturing. I understand ergonomics and all the issues dealing with that with manufacturing. I left there. I went into audits. You know, I was an auditor for a long time. I left there. I went into um, mergers and acquisitions, integration. I did that. I went into finance. I did all the... Um, call centers, ergonomics, and all those things. I left there. I went back into defense. So what all of this experience have taught me is that I truly have a very good understanding of the intersections of health and safety. It gives me the breadth and the depth. And and for young women, I think, to me, my advice would be don't be shy to step aside and get what you need because it's, it's very competitive, right? And at the same time, just because you're a woman doesn't mean anything Spot to me. You, you may need to be more equipped. Yes. And so my advice to any young woman is that if this is an area you're passionate about, make sure you're passionate about it. And if it's an area you're passionate about, understand all the intersections of health and safety, broaden your, the, your, your, your knowledge, make sure you have the depth and breadth in terms of the field itself in general. And hey, know who you are, be authentic, don't trade off. And when you work for a company, make sure that you're getting as much from that company as you're giving them. Um, some company is not a fit. I've worked for some companies that weren't a fit. That doesn't mean that I wasn't good. Mm. It just means that that wasn't my that wasn't my home company. It wasn't a fit, and which is fine. But I think that it's important that as a woman, it's not what defines you. You can walk into any room and be the be just as the next guy. The differentiator is that you may know more. Spot on. <laughs> Spot on. And your aggressiveness to say, let me try other industries. Let me do different yeah. things. That that has gained you opportunities to rise. Yeah. It's been, I think it's been my differentiator. There hasn't been many things I haven't seen. Hmm. I've seen a lot. It takes a lot to surprise me in health, in, in health and safety. Just a note, he used the word aggressive and not me. You know, because uh, well, I, I used it as a compliment. No, no, she, she's used to me using oh, that word. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that um, and this is kind of pulling back to something we had, you'd already talked about a little bit, but I've always been impressed by the staff that you develop around you. Mm -hmm. And, I, you, you know, you're great at throwing down challenges to people and, and developing them. But you, you said something the other day uh, that I haven't heard it characterized this way, but I really liked it. So I want to hear more about it. You said build a team that grows each other. And I think that that's crazy insightful. So, but, but tell us more what you meant by that. When you, when you're building a team and for me, I know what I'm good at and I, I know, I know me, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. <laughs> right. So when I build a team, I make sure that I have people in my team that help me grow in the areas that I need to grow. They are continued challenge for me. And also I make sure that people that I bring into the team also have room to grow and they can grow within the team. And I think when you have a team that you have the depth and breadth, 
to use a sport sports analogy, you have people on the bench. You have, mm. you, you have a strong bench, right? You allow that bench to grow with, as your leaders grow, you also grow in your bench as well. And I think that it's really important that when you're building a team that you understand the pieces of the team that you need, right? Um, I have someone on my team, for example, who's excellent when it comes to program development. Excellent. And so that person, I know when areas where people need that, I expect that person to jump in and help, right? And also help grow them. And I have others in my team, when you talk about partnering, they're the people to go to. They will lay out the plan. They know what to do. And again, the others that don't have that as a strong skill, that individual will help develop them. They'll, they'll, they'll go to that individual to say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing this with this team. I want to run something by you. What are you, what are you thinking? And, and that's what I mean about, you know, it's important to have a team that grows a team. I know currently I'm building a team. Hopefully that's what I hope to arrive at. That's the team that Mike is used to me having, you know, all the different mm -hmm. companies I worked for. He's used to me having that type of team. I've always had a very good bench strength. And 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 there's a reason for that, because I want to make sure that every aspect of the skill set that we need to grow as a function within the company that I can reach within my team. And that's there. And and also have a team of individual that like working with each other. Right. A uh, team of individual that are vested in each other's growth is also very, very important. And I think that if you don't have that, you will struggle. As a leader, you will struggle because what tends to happen when you don't have that, you work a lot harder. <laughs> you you find yourself rolling your sleeves to dip in and you don't want to be doing that because you, then you're not spending as much time as you need to at the other levels that you need to focus on. So it's really important to have that bench strength. It's really important to have team members that can help each other grow and that also trust each other. It's also very, very important. And we probably have talked about this before. When I hire people, I, I kind of want them to do what I think they should do. I want them to develop into what I think they should develop into a lot. You know, then normal human inclination, right? You know, this mm -hmm. this, this is where I see you going, right? And you gotta you gotta as you just said, you gotta let go of that, right? And and look at what makes them authentic. You know, yeah. not just what yeah, makes exactly. you authentic, right? You gotta let them be their authentic self and, and and see where they fit. Yeah. And what makes them authentic should be complementary to you. Because if what makes them authentic is uh <laughs> It's contrary to what you are. You're not going to get along. So you have to make sure what makes them authentic is complementary to you and the rest of your team, which is also very important. I mean, if you have someone, you know, part of their authentic self is they're argumentative. Every meal ends up in an argument. That's yeah. not complimentary for you. So no. you don't want that. You want whatever makes them authentic is complementary to you and your team. Mm -hmm. nice. no. Well, as always... You know, I've never had a bad conversation with Hannah. So I, I can see been, why. It's been great. I think she's ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to throw a surprise at you. Oh, Lord. I'd this is my rapid fire. This is your rapid fire. <laughs> um, all right. Your first question, um, a low moment. So when something just didn't work or had something tragic happen, whatever, from a safety leadership standpoint in your roles, give me a, give me a low moment. Well, I think a low moment for me would be when we we had uh, I, I I worked when we had a fatality. Uh, that was a low moment for me because um, it was an area where we worked hard, and I thought that um, we've done all the right things, and then at the end of the day, the reason why the individual lost their life, you just felt like you could have done more, you could have gone the extra 
mile. I think to me, that was the lowest moment for me. That's one of the reasons why in some areas I'm very vigilant and I don't give up even when people, because I've seen the other side of it. So for me, that's the one of the lowest moments is losing someone in a work-related accident. And it's happened to me a couple of times. And um, uh, that's always a low because you always question what could I, what could we have done? Um, what, what could we have from, as a leadership team Okay, we have done something different to to prevent that from happening. I think that are probably the lowest point of my career is when we when I lost someone. Yeah, that's understandable. I've been there, and you know when I look back at what drives me day in day out, those memos are really easy to recall. I hate to say, mm-hmm. I can still recall all of them, and there's a lot of them. Yeah, and, I recall every single one of them. Yeah, every single one of them. And it yeah, keeps you going. So that's great. All right, the last one. If you're just going to give two or three really key points to leaders that are in it now and struggling, you know, as safety and leadership or the ones that are up and coming, what what would be the two or three really key salient points you would tell them? Make sure this is what you want to do. Make sure you're in it with your heart. It's something you want to do, right? If you're not in it with your heart, you're wasting your time. I think anything that you do in life, especially if you're going to put, invest so much time in it, make sure it's something that you want to do. And if you decide that this is exactly what I want to do, then have the courage of your conviction to do the things that's necessary to be where you want to be. Don't take shortcut. Put in the hard work. And if you put in the hard work and you are, you have the, the, the courage of your own conviction, know what you want and just go for it. The limitation sometimes is, is not others. The limitation is yourself. I'm going to call it the new trifecta of passion courage and conviction that's mm. a new trifecta mm. it's that's i love it i love it that's great well hannah uh, as i knew you did not disappoint this was a great conversation i am so glad you joined us i think uh this will do a lot for our vision of this podcast which is you know help safety leaders you know maneuver with the waters that you maneuver every day so thank you very much for that contribution any anytime i truly enjoy the conversation and i'm glad i'm able to help um other young safety professionals grow in their field That's a podcast that should be listened to more than once. So many things. You know, we just got done with it and I can't wait to listen to it. Yes. (laughs) She's got such a great message and I just love her approach. She's very risk oriented. She's very realistic. Yes. You know, Uh, she's the kind of person that somebody wants to follow, right? So great from a safety leadership standpoint. And so folks, as you listen, pay close attention to it. The statement at the end that she said, if you're going to do this, be in it with your heart. And you could tell she just didn't say that. She lived that. Thanks for listening to My Big Safety Challenge, a podcast produced in partnership by Dale Carnegie and BCSP. With your hosts, Dale Carnegie Master Trainer, Merle Heckman, and Mike Palmer, Principal at NSAFE. Executive produced by Charlie Eltringham, Supervising Producer, Michael Escobedo, Audio engineering and editing from Jesse Gray and Giachi Liu. Editorial support from Tyson Matthews. Consulting producers are Colin Brown and Mark Sullivan. To have new episodes delivered directly to you, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. If you would like to share your story of a safety leadership challenge you faced, email us at info at mybigsafetychallenge.com. See you next time.